that nobody knows absolutely anything about it. Is that the, Yeah, yeah. What'd you say? Sunni and Shiite, which we'll get to that, um, plus about 50 other divisions. Um, Islam, to me, is really confusing. Um, I think we can, you, we can cover it, hitting the high spots, but... Um, it's a, it's a very simple belief system, and it's a very simple practice system. There, there are religious beliefs you're to have, five of them. There are religious practices you're to have, five of them. Okay? But how they got there, and all the divisions, and all the, all, all the different stuff, it really gets confusing, and I can't a, I can't really understand it. B, therefore, I can't cover it very well. But at any rate, a <clears throat> little bit about Islam. It is Christianity is the number one numerical religion in the world. Um, Islam, I think, I think we're two point something billion. Islam's about one. Um, it would be. Um, and Christian is a catch-all, so is Islam. It's, it means every different sect and group um, lumped together. But they would be the second largest worldwide uh, religion. They came along in the Arabian Peninsula in the 600s, okay, um, A.D., that means Judaism was long established, and by then, Christianity was heavily established. You are already, by the 600s, you're into what we would begin to call Roman Catholicism, or the Roman church um, dominated by Rome. The, the division, the move to um, what's now Istanbul hadn't happened in Catholicism yet, um, but Christianity in the Mediterranean basin was dominant, and of course Judaism was not dominant, but it was well known they were scattered and present nearly everywhere. Um, <clears throat> so there are some borrowings in Islam from Christianity and Judaism. Not much, but enough that, getting ahead of myself, Muhammad thought he would be warmly accepted by Jews and Christians because of the smattering of Jewish Christian truth that he endorsed. That didn't happen. He didn't like it. And so um, there was a lot of friction and so forth we'll get to in a minute. But <clears throat> the word itself, Islam means surrender. And the word Muslim just means one who submits. Okay. Um, and <clears throat> I'm going to do my best not to wander away from um, notes here. Um, as an overview, here's who they accept as prophets in Islam. They accept Noah, Abraham, whom they claim was 
their father, uh, their ancestor, okay? Um, and technically, they were as being um, Arabs and children of Ishmael. They came from, uh, from Abraham. But they claim a lot more as far as authority for what they believe and things that supposedly Abraham um, <clears throat> gave them. But Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, Jesus, John, I have no idea why, you know, I don't know why this selection. But Muhammad is the pinnacle of those prophets. He's the last prophet. He is the final S-U-N, son, okay? He's the last and brightest light. So he eclipses Jesus, of course. Now, he rejected Christianity and he rejected Judaism, but kept some pieces of both of those by acknowledging Jesus as a prophet, Abraham, and so forth, Moses. Um, <clears throat> now, Mohammed was born in Mecca in 570 AD. Okay? Um, this is kind of the deal with him. Um, he was basically a camel caravan driver. I mean, it, which was, a lot of people did that. And he traveled from Mecca down, this is in the southern part of the Arabian Peninsula, um, Persian Gulf, and so forth. Um, that was his occupation. He did do, um, he participated in the normal religions then, which were polytheistic, many gods, and the then most of the um, Arabians were animists. Animists is the most elementary religion, if you want to call it. Um, they believe many gods. They may very well believe in a supreme god, but there are still many, and their gods. Uh, I mean the. the the trees, the water, the waterfall, the rocks. God is in all of those. And that's animism. Okay. Um, <clears throat> now, he ended up marrying. Um, he had a fairly prominent uncle. I, don't, I can't remember what happened to his parents, but he was raised by an uncle that was, you know, well known in Mecca. And he ended up uh, marrying a wealthy very wealthy widow, okay? Um, and she was quite a bit older than him. But um, he was able then to live a life of retirement. He, he quit driving camels because his wife had a lot of money. So there's a lesson in that. Um, but anyway, <clears throat> so he retired and he gave himself over to religious meditation. Um, you know, read things, thought a lot. Um, I imagine had access to, by that date, he'd have access, of course, to the Hebrew Bible and Christian Bible to some extent. Um, how much, 
I don't know, but he knew enough that he identified people in both the Hebrew and the New Testament. Um, and <clears throat> he, he came to one, in his mind, one truth, which, which is true, that there's one God, Allah, okay? And all these other gods are just idols, they're fake, they're nothing, and there's one supreme God. So you have three monotheistic religions in all of the world. Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. That we have in common. There's one God. They're not um, you know, thousands or more. Um, which, again, to jump ahead a bit, one of the things that sent Muhammad you run screaming into the desert was the notion that the Christian Trinity that's idolatry that's not one God that's three gods okay so that's blasphemy the fact that Jesus you know Christian Christian view Jesus is the second person of the Trinity the Son of God the Son is immediately that's idolatry because it's more than one God in his mind okay um so here's what he began to do. He began with money, time, retirement, still young. He began to um, harass worshipers that would come to Mecca where there were three or four hundred different shrines for different gods. And he made just himself obnoxious, telling people that this is fake, this is not true, um, there's only one God, and this is idolatry. And he riled people up enough, caused dissension, and it began to hurt the attendance, if you want to call it, and the pilgrimages to Mecca. Mecca wasn't what Mecca is today to Islam, okay? But that happened to be the city he lived in. That riled them up. It, it reminds me a little bit of Ephesus. When Paul came to Ephesus and the chief temple of Diana, goddess of love, was there. And he preached and enough people got converted to Jesus that they you know, rioted and complained that he was hurting the silversmiths who made all these little figurines of Diana he was wrecking their business. And so this is a little bit like that. So what they did, the people in Mecca ended up running Muhammad out of the city of Mecca to some other city I can't even pronounce, but it ended up being called Medina, which we've seen that in the news. Okay, This running him out of town occurred in 622, okay? Um, and he began, he began then um, kind of hanging out in caves and spending more and more time um, with visions. So this overlapped a bit, a bit. He was doing some of that before he was run out of Mecca. But um, there is uh, once a year, if you can, 
in the life, or one time, in the life of a Muslim, you're, you're to participate in the um, hajith or hageth. I don't know how to pronounce it. Or maybe you can pronounce it either way. That's the flight. And so they make a pilgrimage from Mecca to Medina, retracing the flight of Muhammad when he was run out of Mecca. Okay? Now things get interesting when he gets to Medina because he starts having all of these visions. The visions were always accompanied by appearances, he said, of supernatural beings. He called them angels. But they, were, they brought him what were called, they, they would say, recite this. Um, and I, the word Quran comes from the word recite. So he received visions of what to write in a book that became the Quran. Now, all those visions were accompanied by these sights of supernatural beings, he claimed, and violent, long-lasting, talking several days, seizures, um, trances, complete oblivion about where he was at, after which he was um, recovering, as it were, exhausted for days, okay? And then, but he had people that would write down what he said that these different people that appeared to him told him, okay? Um, the Quran's not a real big book. I have one. I've, I started, I thought, you know, I probably ought to read this. It's, it's only about the size of the New Testament. It's not long. Um, <clears throat> I started trying to read it, and I remembered a comment that Mark Twain, pretty religious skeptic anyway, but Mark Twain made a comment about the Book of Mormon. He said it's chloroform in writing. It'll put you out, put you to sleep. So will the Quran. It's, I mean, you can't, I don't care if you just got up and you drank a whole bunch of coffee with sugar in it and you're just, you go to sleep. It is just boring. But anyway, um, so the Quran then was written in that method, supposedly. Um, <clears throat> He ended up then um, going, going back and forth, fighting against Mecca and the idolatry he saw there. He began with his followers, a good number of them basically took over Medina. Um, and this, again, he set up, set himself up in 622 in Medina. Um, that's when he was kicked out um, of Mecca. By 632, just 10 years later, he was dead. So he died at age 62. Okay? But by then, um, through 99% war, um, not witnessing, not evangelism, 
if there's a broad, and I don't think it would, you, you could say it was an unfair stereotype, but Islam was spread at the point of a sword, at a dagger. You convert or you die. That's still in places where they um, don't have freedom of religion. Through the Middle East, India, Pakistan, Indonesia, there are different brands of Islam that are not as violent, but initially every convert was at the point of a sword. And it spread incredibly rapidly. It came, it, of course there's nobody in this, <laughs> the Arabian Peninsula, but so it didn't take very long to convert everybody. But out of the Arabian Peninsula then, came up into Palestine, into Syria, and <clears throat> conquered along that western shore of the Mediterranean. Then they spread shortly after, well, here's, here's, where, here's what happened 100 years. 632, Muhammad dies. 732, all of Palestine was pretty much Muslim. Now, that didn't mean there weren't any Christians left, but they controlled it, okay? They had conquered all of northern Africa, which in the fives, well, even the fours, the fours, fives, sixes, was a stronghold of Christianity. You've heard of St. Augustine, I think, probably. Cyprian, another church father. The Alexandrian fathers. Those guys were all in northern Africa. Northern Africa was overrun by the opening of the 700s so far that they had taken over northern Africa. They had crossed over the Rock of Gibraltar, which I didn't know this, but the Rock of Gibraltar is an, an Anglicanization of a Muslim word that I can't pronounce, which in English is Gibraltar. They went across Gibraltar into Spain, swept through Spain. You've heard of the Spanish Moors, M-O, well that, they spread clear to France, and in 732, which is just 100 years after his death, they were, that tide coming up out of North Africa was stopped at a place called <clears throat> Tour, um, T-O-U-R-S in French, which who knows what the pronunciation is. You know, if it's French, it could be Bob. I, you know, they, I, don't, I don't know how in the world they pronounce stuff. But anyway, so I don't know if the S is pronounced or what the deal is. But that was a major turning point, and it stopped their spread from the West, okay? In the meantime, later, they began to spread up through Persia, Iraq, um, moving up through the Middle East, and then began to sweep west instead of coming around through Spain and going east. So that um, even up until the 1500s, there was still a very real threat from the Muslims. Uh, 
um, coming from the east across Europe. A lot of the, the Baltic states, um, Albania, Bulgaria, you know, different names now, but they were Muslim. If you can remember, we remember during Clinton's days, we had the Bosnia-Herzegovina war, okay? That's an interesting clash because you had three major religions and that was, they butted heads centuries earlier, right there. And it was Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, which are still Christian, but they hate each other, um, and Islam. So you have in those countries, all three of those religions packed into pretty small places and they are anathema generally to each other. And that's a lot of what was going on um, when, you know, there was war over there. Anyway, <clears throat> um, then in later centuries, um, Islam never moved much as far as heavily. They, they ended up kind of pushed out of um, Spain, but there's still some there. Um, some of the uh, mosques that they built were repatriated as Christian cathedrals. But on the other hand, you have in Istanbul um, a, one of the most massive Christian cathedrals ever built. And um, <clears throat> a man, an early church father by the name of uh, John Chrysostom, preached at that massive cathedral okay and I think it was built in the six or sevens maybe earlier at any rate over the years the Muslims took it over for a long time they let it be a Christian church then they made it into a mosque then they backed off and they made it into a museum and just under Erdogan in Turkey three four years ago to placate Muslims, you know who Erdogan is. He, he's a, not a good guy. Um, anyway, he finally made um, the, that great cathedral a Muslim church. There was real resistance to it because there were enough Christians still in the area. But finally, um, and it's only been I think three or four years, that he turned it into a full-blown mosque. No one else, no Christian can go into it, okay? Anyway, um, <clears throat> now, I've got to kind of be careful here for two things. One, time, and putting all of you um, to sleep. <clears throat> okay. Let's go to, um, we'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and jump to the um, basic doctrines, uh, religious beliefs and religious practices. So religious beliefs, they have uh, five of them that you are to believe, okay? <clears throat> One. Allah is the one true God. 
And he is omnipotent, omniscient. He's, in a sense, nearly all we attribute to God the Father, except they would, it's anathema to call God the Father because that means a son and it means the Trinity, and that's polytheism. That's many gods. Um, <clears throat> and he is so, but unlike God the Father, Christianity, he is so transcendent and so awesome that he's pretty much unknowable. Okay? You don't think of Allah is nothing like Jesus described the Father. Not a sparrow falls to the ground without your Father, without the Father. Therefore, fear not. You're more valuable than many sparrows. Okay? It's not that kind of a God. He's very... They'll once in a while talk about Him being merciful and all this. But generally, Allah is... An iron, is iron-fisted, um, a, a despot kind of a god. Interestingly, we talked, yeah, it was last week, we talked about free will and predestination. Uh, Muhammad contradicted himself on some stuff. He would waffle between predestination and free will. Even in Islam, that argument comes up but whenever you have whenever you have an all-powerful all-knowing God then you do confront what you know does he if he foresees everything did he predict everything or did he foreordain everything now I know philosophers you know dealt with that um, I don't see it as that big of an issue Meaning that, not that it's not important, but it's not this terrible knot that you've got to try to undo and it, you, know, you rack your brain and all that and you go into caves forever. Think about it. If God's sovereign, which he is, he created us in his own image, which means we think, we feel, we choose. And he sovereignly determined that he would give us our choice. I don't get what the fight's over. He will honor it. He will do his best to impress, influence us. We know that. But he won't force us to love him and obey him. He wants voluntary love and obedience. Coerced love and obedience is meaningless. It's not love or obedience. So, but even Islam in its earlier days was back and forth on whether man had a free will or not. Anyway, so Allah is the one true God. Two, Allah has sent many prophets into the world to speak the truth about him. Some found in the Old Testament and the New Testament. This is their second main doctrine to believe. Jesus was a sinless prophet, according to Muhammad, but, again, Muhammad is um, the last and greater than Jesus or any of the other prophets he endorsed. The third main doctrine <coughs> is um, 
there are four, he would use the word inspiration, inspired, but that's different than what the Christian definition of inspired word of God is, but nevertheless. Um, he believed that there were four inspired books. Um, the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, Moses wrote. Um, the Psalms that David wrote. The, um, the Gospel of Jesus. Um, but they are, quote, corrupted. Okay? Um, the Quran is the fourth. It is supreme. It is without error. They would ascribe to the Quran the same way do we do to the Scripture. It's infallible. It's the final source of authority of faith and practice. Okay? Um, so he acknowledged Judaism, Christianity, in inspiring religious books, but the Quran reigns supreme. <clears throat> That's the third doctrine. Fourth doctrine, um, there is a world of many angels, of demons, of a, an evil being, Satan. Okay? Um, have you ever seen, I don't know if you've ever seen on the news, I've seen it a couple times and I've seen some pictures of it. There's, there's this stone pillar um, at, I think it's in Medina. This stone pillar, and it represents, I don't know, supposedly the devil appeared to Mohammed or whatever. Um, or the devil threw this stone down, I don't know, whatever. But when they take their pilgrimage, they stone. I've seen it on the news before. You probably have it. Maybe they didn't explain it. But they stone this big um, obelisk with rocks because it represents defeating the devil. Okay? Um, and then they come back and do it the next year. Um, which I, that I kind of don't get. <clears throat> but um, they believe in angels, demons, the devil. Fifth doctrine is they, do, they believe in a judgment. Um, they believe in resurrection. They believe in heaven and in hell. Now, before you think, well, we've got a lot in common. It's what they, how they define that. We all know um, hell, you know, I think hell's hell. But we all know um, what heaven is like. Heaven is 72 virgins, okay, for each man. Now, if you know anything about Islam, I mean virtually nothing, you know it is totally um, patriarchal. And, of course, you have, you have different um, levels of adherence to original, you could call, Islam. Of course, the ones where the, that, where the what are the, hajib and just a slit for their eyes, and that's it. Um, then you have some that you only have to wear the scarf, and some that you don't wear the scarf. 
Um, but women, um, women cannot do anything without permission. You know, you've got the Saudis. I can't remember. I think they might have, within the last year or two years, they might have, under pressure from everybody else, let women get driver's license. So, but if they do have a driver's license, they go shopping, they take a credit card. So maybe it's not, that's a good doctrine. Um, don't give them a license. <clears throat> it's ridiculous. I mean, honestly, it's, it's, it's a depraved treatment um, of how, how they treat women. Um, anyway, resurrection, heaven, hell, Every deed that you've done, God keeps record. Every deed, this is still in that fifth main doctrine. Every deed is weighed on a massive, literal scale in, in a judgment day. So you'll put over here the good you did and the bad you did. And, you know, depending on how it gets balanced out, you're going to heaven or you're going to hell. If you die in a jihad, you automatically go to heaven. Okay? Um, now, any questions so far? Is this perfectly clear? Man, it's hard to... Yeah? Well, see, Gabriel... Y yes, Gabriel. Just like Joseph Smith. Yeah. Same angel. Yeah. Gabriel. And both of them are, they're similar in a way. I mean, the Mormons weren't Yeah. So he and Joseph Smith were, you know, the same angel that I remember reading about. And, uh, Do you want me to get off the subject just for a minute? But this is true. Um, St. Augustine, in the late 300s, he died in 430. He had a vision. He was praying. He said a being stood in front of him and claimed, he said, he, it was real, spoke and said, I'm, I'm Jesus. And he says that he, he wasn't imagining, it means mentally he saw this vision. And he said, I looked, I looked and there were no nail piercings in his hands or his feet and he said I spoke to this being and said where are the nail prints and said it left now you might think well he was nuts he you know the heat in Carthage where he lived was bad Martin Luther hiding in Wartburg Castle in Germany when the Pope put a price on his head uh, you know, he, he would have known about Augustine. But he gives an almost exact similar description.
description of a being who stood before him, same thing, and I've not gone to Wartburg Castle, I wish I could, but earlier, the claim was, and he said, when he realized the same thing, said he stood a little bit off the ground, robe didn't quite cover his feet, and he, the same impression, there, was no, there were no wounds. And he said it vanished, and he realized, he said that was satanic. He threw his ink pot at the wall where this being appeared. Okay? Now, those, those visions, same things Muhammad had, same descriptions, and the exact same description, robe that came down to the ankles, person standing a few inches off the ground, hovering in the air, even describes not quite covering the wrists, is the description Joseph Smith said, stood at the end of his bed when he was 18 years old, and supposedly this guy was, I think that was Moroni, I think it was, I can't, that was either Moroni or Mormon. See, Mormon is Moroni's kid. And so, anyway, um, the similarity of what these totally different people of 1,500 years apart saw, they weren't, they weren't imagining it. It was false, but it was real, if you know what I mean. Now, um, that's getting off the subject for a minute. <clears throat> okay, the, f the, f the five, um, by the way, finishing up, the fifth doctrine to believe um, of speaking of heaven. Heaven is a place of physical gratification that's the 72 version virgins that's all kinds of food that's all it's basically party time uh you know it's a i guess it's kind of an eternal tailgating or something um but everything is not spiritual it's physical okay um now <clears throat> Let's, let's shift to the five practices that a Muslim is to perform. Some of them daily and so forth. Um, these are, they're called the five pillars. One, recite the Islamic creed. This you're to do, it's not specified, except that it's to be multiple times. Not how many, but multiple times through a given day, you're to recite, there is one God, there is no other God but Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. Okay? Um, you're to recite that throughout the day. Second pillar, you're to pray five times a day toward Mecca. You've seen pictures, probably, um, even some fairly recently. Well, I've seen two different settings. Some of the um, illegal immigrants in New York out on sidewalks doing their, you know, p 
put your forehead on the ground on a prayer rug. And also, not too long ago, I saw a picture of um, a Muslim man praying in the aisle of a plane in flight with his rug bound down. That you do five times a day. That's specified. The third pillar is almsgiving. And <clears throat> it has varied some. It's not the tithe. It's one-fortieth of not only your income, but also, I guess you'd say, your value. Each year, you're, you're, you're roughly worth whatever. You are to give one-fortieth of that, okay? Um, to the mosque, to the um, poor, whatever. The fourth <clears throat> is the once a month fasting for the month of Ramadan. Ramadan in, the, um, in Islam, they have a calendar, like, like the Jewish calendar. They, they're different than what we have. Um, and the Is Islamic calendar, Ramadan is the ninth month. Okay? Now, Ramadan, and, and like the Jewish calendar, it's lunar. So the first crescent moon starts the month of Ramadan. And during Ramadan, um, the reason Ramadan is this special month, that it was in that month that the Quran began being given to Muhammad. Okay? So that's why it's a, it's a special month. Here's, there are some similarities. I don't, I don't, they're not intentional, I don't think. But um, our October is the Jewish Day of Atonement, which is their highest day. This seems similar, but it's, it's a little different. If it's the, the whole thing of Ramadan is restraint, self-restraint or refraining. Okay? Now, you fast from dawn to dusk. So, uh, now you can eat, you can just pig out the minute the sun goes down. And I guess you could do it all night till the sun comes up. Um, there their rule, or an ancient rule, of determining when it was dusk and when it was dawn was you held a black um, thread and a white thread, and if the, in the natural light you could tell the difference between which was white and which was black, that meant it was daytime and you couldn't eat. Okay? So as long as you can't see it, you can, you can eat. Okay? Now, they were, they, they are so, they have some exemptions. If you're sick, they said if you're sick, um, you're very aged and weak, um, you're ill um, uh, in some way, you can eat something, okay? But everybody else is supposed to re uh, refrain, including <clears throat> swallowing your own saliva, so I don't know if everybody just spits all day, or you'd have to, I guess. 
But you do that very long in that desert country, you, you, don't, you haven't got anything to spit anyway. But that would, seriously, that would be bad. I mean, that, that'd be a suffering. But, um, and so you're to refrain from things that are pleasurable during Ramadan. But in the evening, you, 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 invite, you, invite everybody, you invite your neighbors, you invite your family, you have a big feast and all that. So really, um, it's, they call it the fast of Ramadan, but it's only just for daylight hours. It's, you can, you're not going to starve to death. Um, but also, you send gifts to other people, and you're supposed to be thankful to Allah for his mercy and whatever. And here's the key thing. If you do all of this in Ramadan for that 30 days and you practice it to the best of your ability, you, all of your previous year's sins are forgiven. Okay? Um, so that's a major, what, um, event of the year where you, you start out... They even have a word for um, fresh page. You know, you turn, over, you turn over a new leaf, okay? Then I guess you start piling up sins again, and then you get to the next Ramadan. Um, but anyway, then um, the fourth pillar is a pilgrimage to Mecca once in your lifetime. Now, there are exceptions. If you're just too desperately poor to ever afford it, um, you, you, you're exempted. If you're too ill, aged, whatever, to ever undertake that kind of a trip. But anybody that's, um, you know, prosperous enough and well enough must uh, take one pilgrimage to Mecca, at least one in their life, okay? Now, there's an asterisk here in my notes and in other writings. There may be sort of an unofficial or nearly official sixth pillar, and that is the one jihad, holy war. That's been held somewhat from early days because, again, Islam is a religion that con you know, makes converts through war. Okay? Um, there's the reward, of course, of heaven. If you die, you're called a martyr. Um, and you've, we've heard enough. Uh, a, you know, a suicide bomber is a martyr. They go directly to heaven and um, now, I really don't, you know, there's, not very often, but you'll have female suicide bombers. I don't know what they get when they go to heaven, but the males get 72 virgins, okay? Um, I don't know the rest of it. <clears throat> but um, it's considered that the uh, holy war and killing, you know, um, what, what would you say, unrepentant, um, refuse to listen infidels, people that don't, don't believe. Um, 
you're considered, the, if you're in the effort to spread Islam, the belief of Islam, and you die in that effort, then you, all sins are gone and you go directly to heaven. Okay? Now, that's an awful lot of stuff in kind of a short um, period of time. There are probably, um, well, there's uncountable amount of sects within Islam. There's the two that we know the most of here in America that we seem to confront the most, Sunnis, Shiites, and Sharia law, okay? Now, the Shiites are the conservatives. The Sunnis are more liberal. And it has something to do with the subsequent leadership after Muhammad died. There was some guy, I can't remember his name now, that kind of took over when Muhammad died. He was not a blood relative of Muhammad. And, but he was kind of, I guess, elected or whatever by, there were a lot of um, learners, they called them, disciples. Um, a, a group of people grew up that were interpreters of the Koran. Um, the Jews had the same thing. The scribes, when you see in the New Testament especially, and the Old, when it talked about the scribes. The scribes were the commentators on the Bible. And they were the ones who taught, um, who the prophets and Jesus railed on the most because they twisted it. There's an interesting little tiny phrase in uh, Jeremiah 8, 8. It talks about the law of the Lord. It says, you, you know, the Jews were saying, well, we have the law of the Lord to Jeremiah. Um, we're, we're fine. He says, the lying pen of the scribes have turned it, the word of God, into a lie. Either by translation or more frequently by commentary. Well, that verse means such and such. When it doesn't. It's twisting. Peter talked about it. Peter said you can twist the word of God to your own destruction. So, in the same way in Islam, a huge group of, they call themselves scholars, and they, they study the Quran. Um, but they kind of selected the first, I think it was one or two leaders of Islam after Muhammad died. Then finally, I think the third leader, and these guys didn't live that long, the third leader came along, and he was a son-in-law of Muhammad. And I think it's the Shiites that say he's a legitimate leader. And it's the Sunnis that say the first two guys who weren't Muhammad's blood relatives were legitimate. <laughs> well, they died in the 600s, so I don't know how much it really matters, except... There's tradition and teachings of tradition. And so if they can trace a teaching back to those guys, 
and not whoever his son-in-law was, then we don't believe anything they say. So you end up with Sunnis and Shiites, but you've got Wahhabis um, who are even more um, um, conservative in Saudi Arabia than the Shiites are. Uh, but there are a ton of different little groups. It's about like the Protestant church in America. <laughs> okay, We've got all kinds of groups. Um, and they will kill each other. So it, there's not a lot of you know, camaraderie. Um, anyway, take, take one quick example. Um, Saddam Hussein was not a nice person at all, um, but he was a Sunni. And the people that were doing a lot of the, many of the jihadists were Shiites. Well, he brutally put down the Shiites. He, it was genocide with them. And they lived in the marshes near the head of the Persian Gulf. That would have been in the area similar to where Abraham came from. Um, but he, he did his best to just eliminate them. But in the, tr the truth of the matter... And I know it's a matter of degrees. But Hussein staying in power halfway corralled would have been a whole lot better than Khomeini. Because Khomeini was a Shiite. And he was kill him, bomb him, whatever you do, go to heaven. Um, so they live out many um, very differently. Now, I'm not saying that you can not believe in Jesus and deny his deity and all that and go to heaven. But not every, let's put it this way, every suicide bomber is a, is a Muslim. Not every Muslim is a suicide bomber, okay? Um, there are, we, when we were over in um, Europe, <clears throat> went over for 75th anniversary, you guys sent us over there. Um, Went to London, went to Berlin. Well, we, when we went to Berlin, um, our son Stephen had done student teaching over there. And since he was doing his PhD on German history, um, he'd been over there a lot. Well, he went with us and showed us around all that. He had a, um, a couple that he'd become very good friends with who were missionaries um, from America to Muslims in Berlin um, and so we went to dinner with them and they they talked about some of the Muslim families that they lived in the same apartment building and so forth um, that they were slowly you know trying to they'd invite them to dinner and they'd talk about the Lord Jesus and they'd you know um, and among, among uh, Muslims, we heard this from uh, Sandra Knopp when she was living here and going to church um, before she m moved back to take care of her parents um, to Iowa, but talked about being a missionary to the Muslims and how many Muslims are reporting independently. They have dreams where they see Jesus. And it draws them. Um, I, you know, 
when I, back when I first started in the pastorate, knew everything. Um, I knew that an is, a Muslim was probably hopeless. They'll never get saved. Um, this is hard to believe, but right now, one of the fastest, um, what, being converted group are Muslims. And there's nothing too hard for God. So um, I know several other missionary couples who work over like Azerbaijan and some of the Khan state or Stan states, countries, um, who I get reports from. They can't even tell you in an email what country they're in because they're there for other reasons. But they just have incredible stories of people getting soundly converting and knowing the cost. They usually have to move out of the village. Their family completely divorces them. They're dead to them. Um, their very livelihood and their life is at stake. That's a Christian um, to face that kind of cost. So even with this group, God's making inroads. Okay, well, we're... You got 10 minutes before the kids are screaming in the halls. So <clears throat> any any last questions, thoughts before we quit? What is with the meteorite? The black rock? Well, the black rock, though, it, well, we'd probably call it a meteorite, meteorite, but I think the black rock Gabriel gave to Abraham and the black rock is embedded. It's, it's in a pillar that they got. And um, they touch it and pray to it. And, but it's supposedly the angels gave it to Abraham. That's all I know. So, anything else? Yeah. And about Abraham, you know, he was so important. He's so important to them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That are good, you're going to kill all of them. You know, so Abraham loved, didn't want to lose anybody. Yeah. <clears throat> well, and. Totally opposite of the jihad. Yeah. Totally opposite. And I've thought a few times, you know, just pondered over that. That was, you know, Abraham didn't initiate God coming down there. God said it was such an offense to him, their evil, that he said, I'm, I'm going to come down and check this out. <laughs> Yet he was willing to, he was willing to endure, God was, the stench of that wicked place if he could only find ten righteous people there. He'd put up with all of it. That gives us a view of the mercy and the patience and long-suffering of God that well, I won't, I won't indict any of you. I could use more of. Because I, I think, Lord, it's time to pull the trigger. <laughs> Check with me, and I can tell you when. Um, but I don't even have a... I, I, we can't get our arms adequately around how much God loves one soul. Just one.
Okay, anything else before we go? Okay, <clears throat> I don't know what we'll do next week, but um, we, might do, we might do a couple of just earlier religions, the Roman and the Greek gods, and some in the Old Testament for a, an idea of what both the Old Testament and the New Testament were engaged in, in their living out a Christian life or following God as the Jews, what they were dealing with um, and in the minority. Um, we don't need to go into a lot of it, but um, there's, there's still references, of course, um, today. If you, you know, this is, anybody ever, anybody read the Babylon Bee? Um, anyway, um, but they'll always talk about, and it's a satire, you know, Christian church satire, but they'll talk about um, Molech. Now, now you're, you're not stupid if you don't know. How many of you know what Molech is? Okay, Molech was the god that the Israelites were always being seduced into because the other nations around they would sacrifice their children to Molech. And as infants, um, it, it was a bronze statue, hollow. They'd build a fire in it, and the, the statue, the god, the idol, folded arms, and they'd put a fire in it until it got glowing hot and put an infant in those arms and sacrifice their firstborn to Molech. Well, they're always talking about Babylon B is Molech with abortion. That that's this is the this is the return of worship of Molech. They're not far off, but and that was one of the main gods. Um, then I will quit. But they sacrificed in the valley of the son of Hinnom, which was um, south. I think southwest or south of the city of Jerusalem in a deep ravine where there was a pretty steep cliff almost. And down in that valley is where they sacrificed their children. Well, under Josiah, some of the later kings, to stop the practice of that, they polluted it. They polluted it with, oddly, a place of human sacrifice. They polluted it with dead bones and turned it into a graveyard, okay? So that worship stopped. That place then, later, by Jesus' day, was the city dump. And Jesus used it, the word Gehenna, hell, that he's talked about. The worm dies not, the flame is never quenched. That was the old place where they sacrifice to, to Molech and he used it as an illustration of the ever-present wafting of the smoldering flames of the dump and the stench of the dump that's what he used as a metaphor for hell so anyway we might look at a few of those but then we'll get into um, cults and so forth Okay, Father in heaven, 
Dismiss us, we pray, <clears throat> and keep us safe as we travel home. And I pray that you would continue to bless all of our different endeavors. Each of us be going many different directions tomorrow to work, teach, whatever the case might be. Pray, Lord, that you would just use us wherever we are, that we'd be lights for you. In Jesus' name, amen.